Okay, welcome along to another episode of How I Caught the Wrestling Bug Podcast. And I'm delighted to say joining me this week on the show is Justin Nipper. Justin, how's it going today? Pretty good, David. Thanks for having me. I've been kind of looking forward to it for about a month. I think we got in contact about three weeks, a month ago or so, and a couple of our buddies were on your show, so now it's my turn. I'm stoked. So yeah, I think you were, you were one of the first people to contact me and say, yeah, I'd love to come on. So uh, you haven't even heard the show yet. You, it, could, it could have been terrible, but you were happy to you were happy to come on, so I'm delighted to have you. Um, so obviously we'll get through all the questions I ask everyone, but just to sort of give people some context as to who you are, just in case some people don't know. Um, so you write for both the Fight Game website and also you do some work for... F4W as well? That's right. Yeah, I've been with the F4W Observer website for uh, about two years or so. I, I was originally hired uh, right around the all-in time a couple of years back because they were there was just more wrestling um, that was that needed to be covered and they put out a, uh, what is it, like a, just an ad on the, on the website. I read every day anyway, so I just, I applied and started working with them and I mainly covered ROH um, most of last year but um, pandemic changed everything so uh, I'm also I, I've also written for websites like voicesofwrestling.com and I used to write for fansighted.com um, a couple other wrestling websites but yeah these days mainly you can find me writing and editing on Fight Game Media and these days uh, most Friday nights I cover New Japan Strong for F4W Online so Whatever they started with the summer, with the whatever it was called, the uh, Lions Break Collision, we didn't know that it was going to be a, a regular show. So I started doing that, and it just turned into a weekly. And that's my. Uh, if you're interested in my writing, that's that's the latest stuff that I'm into right now. And occasionally you do podcasts as well. I know you've done some with with Garrett, and you're you're normally on with uh, John Moxley when John comes on to talk, to talk about UFC. That's right. Yeah, that's kind of um, kind of out of, out of nowhere. It's just I, I I'm not really I never thought of myself as doing podcasts. I didn't, didn't really plan on it. But uh, earlier this year during the G1, I wrote about G1 tournament, New Japan's G1 tournament last year for Fansided. But I, it was just writing. It was just me. And I wanted to do something similar this year. But um, it took a long time to write all that all those uh, write ups by yourself. You know what I mean? So I wanted to maybe try, you know, maybe talking about it with somebody, like, just to, no one be as lonely, you know what I'm saying? But, so I reached out to Carlos Toro, who's a boxing writer, and who's been involved in Fight Game Media recently, and we just did the G1 cast, and from there, I kind of, I said to Garrett, like, okay, well, I'm, I'm good doing the podcast thing, I guess, so if you want to do more, let's do it. And then the Moxley thing came up, and, uh, yeah, Moxley, he really wanted to talk about UFC, so... That's how that came about. It's just, you know, you know how it is in the fight game Facebook group, tight knit community, all that business. It's just my work is kind of through that. It seems like these days. I have to say the the G one cast that you and Carlos did, I found that really helpful during the the G one because, you know, obviously with work commitments and everything else, it's very difficult to follow every single every single night of the G1 so I had to sort of listen to you and, and Carlos's breakdown and, and figure out okay well this is the match I need to watch and 
so I, I really thought you guys did some some great stuff of that. So uh, yeah, I hey, really thanks. I really enjoyed all of the the G one casts. It was the first kind of you know re- I, I'd been on podcasts before, but I didn't produce or put anything together on my own. So that was kind of my first time. So I appreciate it because you know how it is when you do a podcast, you don't really know uh, what's hitting and what's not because the audience isn't right in front of you. It could yeah. be a million people. It could be 10 people. It could be one person. You never know. So, but thanks. Um, what was your favorite, um, G1 match or matches from oh, this geez. year? Uh, now you're putting me on the spot. I didn't, I'm prepared. Yeah, for this. <laughs> I, I had the trouble myself, but there were, there were quite a few. I liked Ibushi and Suzuki a lot. I don't know if that was my favorite, but that's something that I remember pretty, it's always pops into my mind. Is there anything like that that pops into your mind? I'd have to think about it. Uh, there's, there's, there was a few matches that really stood out, um, but I'd have to... Will Ospreay and... I think maybe the Suzuki match. Maybe my favourite one overall. Oh, that was good, yeah. Uh, that just had, cool. It just had everything. You know, I, I, I actually watched that one live, which I think does make a little bit of a difference when you're not uh, sort of... Um, you haven't heard other people review the match and... You haven't got their sort of opinions lodged in your mind when you're watching it. Right. You're watching it completely fresh, so to speak. Yeah, that match I really, really dug it. Mainly, mainly, mainly because, like I say, maybe because it was it was live when I watched it. But yeah, that uh, yeah, Will Ospreay is just maybe my favorite foot performer in the world right now to watch. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to his uh, Tokyo Dome match next what, two weeks. I think uh, with him and Okada. Should oh, be nice. That should be amazing. Yeah. So, um, obviously, I ask everyone the same set of questions here on the show. And, and the first question is, what is your earliest memory of wrestling? So, when I was looking at the questions, you know, these are good questions and they seem basic or simple enough. And I, like a memory of, I can't think of it as like, one specific memory in my life actually so i didn't really know that until you asked me specifically so first of all thanks david for asking me (laughs) that but i don't think i have like one memory as much as a hodgepodge of separate memories throughout my childhood what was dad oh go ahead sorry i was gonna say what was the first wrestling you saw was it which company was it you first saw most likely WWF. Yeah. Um, but there are memories in my head from when I was really little of seeing stuff that on, on TV, but I didn't know what it was. And this is like when I was really little. So it's just those images are in my head, but I don't know exactly what that was. But my first memory, like my first real memories of that, that I keep with me still, not memories that when you're three, it's just kind of a visual image. It's not really anything more than that. But I really started... Um, was cognizant about it when I was around six or seven. This was like 91, 90-ish. So post-WrestleMania 6, WrestleMania 7, I remember watching a lot of the TV, the the, the run-up to WrestleMania 7, the 1991 was uh, Hogan and Slaughter. I remember a lot like that time, or like 1991 is where my memories start to kick in. I can remember a lot, and uh, yeah, and they're mostly TV or whatever my dad was talking about. My dad, he liked wrestling when he was a kid, him and his brother. So when I would be watching it on TV with my brother, he would you know mention Dominic DiNucci and Bruno San Martino and right. 
wrestlers that he really liked. And, you know, but that was pretty much the extent of, there's not one specific memory that, like, drew me in. It was just kind of there, and I, I, I was magnetized to it. Is that a word, magnetized? Yeah, yeah I think so. I think magnetized. so, yeah. It sounds, it sounds like a word. It should be if it's I was not. drawn to it. I was drawn to it. I don't know why. It just it, it was just kind of there. And um, it's always been around. So I wish I could give you a more specific answer, but it's... Well, no, I mean, I, I, if I was asked that question, I don't, I'm not sure I could have, like, one specific memory of, of, of wrestling. I can remember the first wrestling I watched, which was WCW, actually, funnily enough, in, like, 91. But... Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't be able to tell you, okay, it was Sting versus whoever. I just know I started watching it around that time. Uh, but as for who were the wrestlers that really grabbed your attention as a kid? Who who were the wrestlers that you were really drawn to? Sting, Bret Hart, and of course Hogan and Ultimate Warrior when, when I was really young. Uh, Randy Savage, you know, the... the when you're when I was a kid, of course it's the stars, and then you watch it a little more, and then you start to pick your favorites. And around the time I was talking about, like ninety ninety one, when I was watching it on TV more and more, especially WWF, um, I liked Jimmy Snuka a lot because they would always show that clip of him jumping off the cage. But around that time, like, he would be on TV, kind of like well, a goatee. He was a little older. I liked Coco Beware as a kid. Um, I loved the Bushwhackers as a little kid. <laughs> so did I. They were like, yeah, they were the ultimate like a kids tag team. They I were. mean, yeah. N- looking back at it now, uh, it is it's silly, it's it's goofy, but um, I get it. I, I don't know if I could watch many of their matches now. But although when they were the Sheep Herders, they were completely different. They had a different makeup to their wrestling. They were these crazy bloody brawlers. So. I hadn't seen that until I was older, but yeah, but Bushwhackers, I remember. Uh, yeah, nothing like out of the ordinary. I think kind of like whoever. Oh, I like Ricky Steamboat a lot because uh, at the first show that I saw, he was there and he blew fire, and that was super cool. You know, anything uh, that could get a little kid interested, like cheap, cheap heat for a little kid. That stuff, you know, I, I ate it up. I'm not sure many people are going to mention the Bushwhackers. I kind of thought it's a shame. I wish more people would mention the Bushwhackers because uh, I loved them yeah. as well as a kid. I think it was... I don't know. I, I loved the Bushwhackers. My brother did too. Uh, I liked Jameson too. Do you remember their... For yes. a brief yeah. moment, they had their... Um, I guess he was a manager or some character from the Bobby Heenan show. But I remember just laughing a lot and watching those guys and licking people. I thought that was funny, but... Yeah, the, actually, Bushwhackers I did like a lot. You saw their oh, whole Legion of Doom too. Oh, Legion of Doom! Did you see the Bushwhackers Hall of Fame speech where they had like Bret Hart and Roddy Piper and those people doing the uh, the march? No, I haven't. Oh, that's... When did they get inducted into the Hall um, of Fame? God, I'm trying to think. Obviously, Piper was still alive, so it must have been at least five years ago. Okay, like 2014, 2015, I guess I'd say. Ah. But um, check that out. Yeah, that's, that's worth definitely worth looking up. Um, as for the first live event you attended, do you remember what that was? Very clearly, and actually, this has been there's a mystery to this show for me because for some reason, even with all the resources out there, I can't find for the life of me, I can't find the results to the show. It was I'm, it had to be in 1991. I'm assuming around June. 
May or June 1991. So I grew up in uh, upstate New York, near Albany, New York. Albany is the capital. It's not a big city, but that's where the government is. And around 1990, a new arena opened in Albany. It was called the Knickerbocker Arena. Uh, WWF was one of the first kind of partners to start holding events at this place. And I mean, this place is still open. I think it's called the Times Union Center now, which is the newspaper in Albany. But like WWF had a very, very deep connection with not only the Albany area when they were doing shows at the Armory from you know 60s and 70s up until then, but from when like, the Knickerbocker Arena, when that was built and it opened, that you know that's the main spot in that city. So WWF, Knickerbocker Arena, or Albany, New York, they it's always been the connection. It's like almost like WWF's backyard. So we got a lot of those shows, and the first show that I saw was around 1991 at this time and it was supposed to be headlined by Slaughter and Hulk Hogan but Hulk Hogan no-showed and it ended up being Slaughter versus Jim Duggan who happened to be he was from the area technically about a 45 minute car ride from he's from Glens Falls but it's about it's the same area code so we kind of considered him a local guy anyway so that was the main event but I, I can't find official um results from this because i believe they were this is a time when wwf was running you know b shows too so i know there's there were shows that were happening maybe three hours west in western new york and central new york and such but the show that happened in albany that i definitely went to that was not a hologram or a weird illusion my dad was there my little brother was there but he was too young to really remember much of it and our neighbors from across the street lamont and lamont jr we all went and yeah, the, my, I still have memories of the show, but since it's so far gone, I don't know how accurate my memories are. So I always wanted to check the results, but for some reason, I don't know. It's just like this mystery show. The first ever show that I went to, did it happen or not? I think it did happen. <laughs> I'm pretty positive it did, but yeah. And at any point, did you lose interest in wrestling did you stop watching at any point in your life yes yes um probably around when wcw ecw folded and everything kind of went kind of folded into wwf wwe from there until from there until at least 2004, the WrestleMania 20, I, I I was just, I was doing other stuff in my life too. I just, you know, graduated high school and I was you know, traveling and doing work related. Thing. I, it just wasn't on the agenda uh, and, and I wasn't, you know, I wasn't interested in it because it felt like, it didn't feel like everything died out, but things felt like, okay, well, I guess my time watching what I was watching before, I guess that's done for now, so... You know, there's a lot more of life out there too to explore so but yeah so for, until about 2004 i remember going to a, a house party a friend's party and watching wrestlemania and being kind of you know inspired again because it was a great card and the main event was awesome but um and then from there i kind of you know dip in and out and i, I would follow things loosely on the periphery but a lot of my close friends like in my life they weren't wrestling fans so i didn't have any but it was kind of like a personal thing 
to me. It was like my personal hobby that I kind of keep to myself because I was doing music. I was doing like, later. I was doing English teaching and other things that weren't entirely related to that. So, yeah, um, yeah, I lost my train of thought, but that's it. <laughs> and probably by sort of two thousand four, that's right when TNA was starting to really catch fire and, and Ring of Honor was starting to get we, we, we were starting to see even though WWE sort of had monopoly had a monopoly over the wrestling business for a while we started to see these um, smaller companies start to really pick up and I think in many ways if WCW and ECW hadn't have folded in 2001 we probably wouldn't have seen this great sort of indie what's the word uh, this sort of rise in the indies if you like uh, because yeah. everybody there the was landscape changed. Yeah, the whole landscape changed completely, didn't it? A lot, yeah. Actually, it's funny that I mentioned that Knickerbocker Arena, that arena that I mentioned earlier. A few years later, after like two thousand six, two thousand seven, I actually went to a TNA show at the same arena, which was uh, to me at the time. I was still, you know, I, I would follow it casually, but not. I wasn't reading the Observer or anything. And I went to the show, and the biggest, biggest difference here was that when I was a kid, and anytime WWF runs this place, it more or less sells out. It's not a huge arena. It's like 10,000, maybe 13,000 max. And they always do Raw and SmackDown. They've done pay-per-views. They did, that's where the Royal Rumble 92 was. That's where um, uh, I saw Edge win the title there, the New Year's Resolution. Re- revolution? Resolution? What? Revolution, yes. Revolution. Um, yeah. Um, uh, but this TNA show, I've never seen a place so empty. I've never seen it so empty, and it was it was really it was jarring to me. It just more as somebody from the area who's never seen such an empty kind of event at at a, not prestigious place, but it's like the top spot in the area. And God, there had to be four hundred people, five hundred people. No more than 700, I would say. And this is in, in uh, an arena that you'd see when you're watching WWF or WCW Nitro. Those are the types of arenas that they were drawing in. And, and when I saw that, I don't know how it affected me, but it, it definitely told me, like, wow, wrestling is really different right now. Uh, and then wrestling, as years went on, and when ROH came onto TV here on HDNet, I could see it more, so I could see what... It was more easy to see what was going on. I think that was one thing that kind of kept me out, too, is it's so much easier to watch wrestling now. You know, you just go on YouTube, just type something in. But maybe, I don't know, I guess 10, 15 years ago, it was less easy. It was just... It was more of a hassle. You had to really love it, or... Well, you're just not going to have the time to search out your favorite wrestling, so... But yeah, I, I was kind of in and out until... I don't know, 2012, 2013-ish. But, yeah. That is a I similar... Timeline. That's a similar response I get from a lot of people. It, it seems a lot of people did kind of lose interest in the early 2000s, and it wasn't really, like you say, till 2012, 2013, that people started to get back into it again. So uh, that seems to be a similar... That seems to be a trend with a lot of uh, people I've had on the show so far. But that New Year's um, Revolution show, obviously where Edge won the title, you were there for that show, you said. Yeah, Yeah, and I didn't intend to go. I, my, my friend couldn't go and called me up that night and said, hey, man, I have two tickets. Do you want to go? And I was leaving 
some band practice or something and I asked my drummer, hey man, you want to go, I got some tickets, you want to go to this uh, New Year's Revolution show? I didn't expect that at all and I didn't see the entire show, I think I missed like the first match, but that was at a point where, yeah, I didn't expect or intend to go, so I was watching it live, but not there as like, you know, a diehard fan, like I was when I was a little kid. So that perspective changed how I felt at the time. But the finish was cool, and that was the first time I really saw or heard people really hate John Cena. I was going to say, it really felt, it really came across that they were really ready for John to lose that title. And obviously, it was a it was a chamber match, wasn't it, that he was in? And yep. I think it came down to, did it come down to him, Carlito, and Chris Masters at the end? I want to say either Chris Masters or Shawn Michaels or something I think it was Chris Masters because I remember watching it thinking there's no way they're going to put the belt on Carlito or Chris Masters so Cena's obviously going to retain and then obviously Vince came out and, and Edge cashed in and it was a great moment and I think they really blew it by having Edge lose it again like two weeks later at the Rumble but uh, that was a really great moment and uh, yeah Cena had held the belt I think it's Mania and they were definitely ready for a change weren't they at that point yeah, and that's kind of the nature of that audience, too, New York audiences, too, because WWF, WWE, and New York State, and New York like, it's kind of like, it's territory, and growing up in New York, to me, it felt like I, the only choice I was offered was WWF, so if you're a fan, you really had to go a little more out of your way to, to find wrestling that was a little deeper than what was going on in WWF, especially at the time. But at that, um, when was it? 2006? Yeah. I, I was so, I was shocked, but I was also happy because it echoed kind of how I felt. It was, I think it was just more of a reaction to, hey, WWF has been coming here doing the same kinds of shows for a long time, not just since the 90s, but the fans up in New York, in the Albany area, not the central New York area, because that, that split is where the NWA slash uh, Canada slash, I don't know, what is it, Johnny Powers company, was it IWEA or something? That was a little bit different. There were, People had a different kind of perspective on wrestling compared to what we were kind of only offered. So, yeah, pe people wanted to see a break in the pattern. I think it was more than just... Not, not liking seeing that it was more like hey yeah. we know what you're gonna do Can, like we want to see something different and especially from those people who've been coming to those shows for decades at the time they're a little harsher i think the northeast um crowds were always a little bit more frank in how they felt about the wrestling because they just had more i don't know I, I might be going off into the weeds here but growing up in new york you, you definitely there's like it's the wwf team they have that they've had that stronghold in my life forever so and i think that was a reaction to that mentality that john cena reaction that night i think new york fans also always gravitate more towards heels i, I remember the the famous sid Shawn michaels matchup which i think was msg at uh, survivor series 96 where sid won the title and they were really behind Sid and, and booed Shawn Michaels out of the building. Yeah, that's just what uh, New Yorkers tend to do, isn't it? They seem to be more in favour of the Hills. Kind of. Yeah, I mean, that's one way to put it. Or 
I would put it as more of New York people are into fake goody two shoes characters, <laughs> and that's something that New York sports fans, and it's not just wrestling fans. If you go to any kind of sports game, if you go to MSG for a Knicks game and just sit up in the in the bleachers up at the top, I mean it's funny. I mean people just talk trash the entire time. It's trash talking capital, one of the capitals in the world. So that's that's the nature, but um. I think it helps push the wrestlers and the talent and the product not forward, but it forces people to do their best and not phone it in. And people in New York love when they can see that you're trying your best. I think that's always evident. I think New York fans are harsh, but if they if you put in a hundred percent effort, I don't think too many people will crap on you. But I don't know. That's just my my take. I haven't even lived in New York in like seven years, so what can I say? Yeah, you were saying you now live in uh, you live on the west coast in in Oregon, but you were living in Japan for a while. That's right. Yeah, I taught English in Japan for just over three years. The uh, next question I ask everyone is: What are your viewing habits now? What do you watch on a week to week basis? So. Do you watch any WWE at all? Do you ever check out Raw SmackDown? Raw SmackDown almost never. Um, because of like because I'm writing for websites now, I, my my habits kind of have to change just because I have to watch certain things, which means I can't watch or don't have the time to watch other certain things. So I guess like my viewing habits are kind of different my viewing habits as a writer editor whatever it's like just to kind of stay aware of what's happening that's one kind of habit and that's just boring i mean it's boring to you guys i mean it's just i, I have to watch it when i have to watch it. but when i want to watch something as a fan i turn my fan mind on put my fan hat on i end up just watching older stuff these days i don't know why i i just whatever i'm covering i try to watch the opposite of it it's kind of like music if you're listening to heavy music all the time as a part of like your job but you just want to relax you still want to listen to music but you just want to listen to something different same with wrestling something with a different like flavor different pace um yeah these days i i cover new japan strong regularly so like that's the only show i feel like i'm watching every single week like at the same time but um I mean, I didn't even watch AEW or NXT this week. I haven't really caught up. I was watching NXT only when I, I was filling in for a little bit on the Observer uh, for the recaps. I think Chris Haken usually does them, but he couldn't make a couple, so I did a few. So that's when I would watch it. So it's kind of dictated by like whoever wants me to write about A, B, or C. You know, that's what I'm. That kind of dictates my habit. Otherwise, it's just try to put on something kind of nostalgic some feel good or something interesting that I'd never seen before and these days I've been watching more and more because um, I'm doing a lot of I'm doing like more writing work or just kind of knowledge work quote unquote knowledge work so I can have some background visuals so I'll put on old kind of handheld things that I find on YouTube, handheld WWF or WCW or New Japan or Old Japan matches. So rare house show matches that I'll just throw on in the background. That's been my, my recent go-to uh, wrestling watching habit. 
of the day, watching any, older handheld matches. Any matches you've come across recently you can recommend? Yeah, um, I forget exactly where it is, but it is a house show. I think it's actually in Japan, but it's a WWF match. It's Bret Hart versus Bam Bam Bigelow in like, Nagoya or something, just a house show. And uh, it's awesome uh, because, I mean, it's what you'd expect, but a little more because the expectations in Japan for like the ring work are just higher because you can't cut a promo. It's not going to do anything. So, yeah, that was really, really, that was really good. And any of Bret Hart's um, house show matches with Owen Hart from 94, oh, yeah. maybe like post-WrestleMania, so like from May till I think, they carried that program on until like the summer after the cage match. So like they, they had a, a good series of matches that I'm sure you can find on YouTube from anywhere really. And th- there's nothing like they're all going to be good, but I like the little extra nuances that you get. Like this is one match that I, I forget where it's from, but it was a U.S. house show and Brett beats Owen. He reverses an O'Connor roll pin. He counters that. And when he, gets the three count he slapped owen really hard on the ass <laughs> something that you wouldn't see uh probably on a television show or a pay-per-view but it was those little those little things you see it's kind of funny and you get to see, see how they interact with each other you get to see the different flavor of the house shows uh which i think helps it helps me understand like where people's minds were at at the time you know how they were reacting or what they were reacting to or what they weren't reacting to that's kind of yeah, and I try to watch it without the sound because you don't really need it for those house show or handheld videos anyway. So if you can see the crowd, how they're reacting, you get these authentic, more authentic experiences you get, you get to watch. So, but yeah, I think anything Bret Hart, that's kind of my thing these days. Or um, yeah, that, that's the only one I can come that comes to mind off the top of my head, especially Bret Hart versus Bam Bam. Or speaking of Sid, I watched a, a decent match with uh, Bam Bam Bigelow and Sid Vicious in a cage. It was around 95 when Bam Bam was sort of getting pushed after the Lawrence Taylor thing, but not all the way. But but there's there's tons of stuff. Whatever that you, I, or anyone else likes, I think five minutes of searching Google will, will lead you to something interesting these days. We now come on to the rapid fire questions, and you, you've mentioned Bret Hart quite a few times. The first question is favorite wrestler of all time. Would it be Bret, or is it somebody else? Yeah, I, I kind of had to telegraph it because I, I was thinking about it, and I, I suppose it has to be Bret Hart. I mean, there are a couple like solid favorite wrestlers of all time that I really do like, but if I had to pick one for the rapid fire, I'll go with Bret Hart for sure. I would have to go with Bret Hart as well. Fa- favorite? Uh, okay, here's a. Side question then. Favorite Brett match of all time? Ooh, um, of course, the WrestleMania 13 match is up there, but with, with Steve Austin, although I really, really like the Survivor Series match with Steve Austin and Brett, like a lot. I watch that a lot. Um, it's always good. It's always good. Uh, not the Wembley match with uh david boy smith although that's great but there are some other matches from like i think there's a match from like right before that that was on tv that was excellent bret hart and david boy smith but um oh 
any of his matches with Mr. Perfect. Oh, absolutely. From from '93, but again, that's another. If you if you dig around and find some uh, house show matches with Mr. Perfect and Bret Hart, uh, they're all great. They're all really good. Um, man, favorite. It's interesting because I had um, I had Dan uh, Luku on last week, and uh, his favorite match was the Iron Man match with Sean, which is a really sort of polarizing match because people either seem to love that match or they find it quite boring. I mean, how how where do you sit on that one? Kind of in the middle, but I definitely have heard uh, other people that they're just not into it. I, I think um, I like. There are some sections of that match, like the last maybe fifteen minutes, or, or including the overtime or whatever they did. Those were pretty cool. Like, there were some great moments in that match, but I don't know if you. It's it's hard to say because at the time it was really cool, and you you're not going to see much wrestling like that on TV in 1996 unless. Maybe get something similar on Nitro or WCW, but it was still it was a different flavor. But I don't know. I don't think the ultimately maybe it should have just been a half an hour instead of an hour, you know. But um, I don't think it's the greatest match, and I don't think Shawn Michaels was Bret Hart's greatest opponent. Not not close. I think he had a lot better opponents too. So I, I would put heading above Shawn. I'm, I might even put Steve Austin above. Sean. Oh, I would absolutely for both. And T- Ted DiBiase as well. Uh, his early matches with Ted DiBiase are 91 are very, very good too. And I'd also put Ted DiBiase around that time above Shawn Michaels, but that's just me. As for your favorite match of all time, it doesn't have to obviously include Brett. So have you got a favorite match of all time? It's difficult. Um, it's really difficult. But I think one that comes to mind every time I don't know if it's my number one but it's definitely up there is it's a 10-man tag team match for Michinoku Pro Wrestling in like 1997 I believe and this is not the match that was at Sumo Hall with Grand Naniwa it was it was like a another kind of house show ish it looks like it might have been from uh, Star Lanes or, or one of the smaller really brightly lit house show venues. It looks more like a rec room than a a wrestling venue or martial arts venue. But it's a 10-man tag team match basically between Kai and Tai Deluxe. So we had Dick Togo, Takamichi Noku, Menzteo, Shofunaki, and um, Shiryu, or Kaz Hayashi in a mask, versus Sasuke, Grand Hamada, uh, I forget his first name, Yakushiji, this wrestler kind of looked like Peter Pan, he had a green uh, get-up. Um, those three, Super Delphin, and I'm missing one more. Uh, da, 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 da. Wow. Nine of ten. Wow. Oh, now it's bugging me. Oh, gosh. Well, there's one other fellow in there, and it was really good, but I just can't remember the name off the top of my head. But um, it was awesome. It was excellent. It's one of my favorite matches because it felt like it's about a half an hour long, I think, and it just felt like a real battle. I mean, the one thing that might put people off is because of the style. It can be like you know quite choreographed, but at the time, I'd never seen anything like that. And it, it felt effortless, too, at times. It felt like I was sucked in. 
I was completely sucked in, and it was the kind of kind of gimmick. They were just punks. They were, you know, guys that were trying to be bad and mess up the company. And you had your your older Grand Hamada, Great Sasuke, kind of authority figures putting their foot down and having an insane what looked to be an insane battle. Guys flying around, bodies everywhere. Lots of emotion, too, especially Grand Hamada is amazing in the match. Um, which, it's funny, because I'm, I'm not, like, the hugest Michinoku Pro fan. I can't say that, but that match, particularly, just, I think about it a lot, and I can watch it any time. There's just so much in it. There's so much going on. And it's funny, there's zero commentary. There's nothing over it. It's just the match. It's just action. It feels like a, a team war, and I, I like that vibe. But that's the one that I think comes to mind immediately. There's there's tons, of course, but that, that's one that always kind of pops into my mind when somebody asks the question. And the best show that you ever attended live, what would that be? That would have to be Wrestle Kingdom when uh, with uh, Okada and Kenny Omega. Was it for 2017? That was probably top to bottom the best, and it was mainly because of that last match. I mean, uh, it, uh, everyone was on a high, like over twenty, thirty thousand people on a high like that. Yeah, it was. It's I never experienced something like that was that like that. Um, the everything everything was great on the card, but. When you finish a show, when a main event is really good, I think no matter how good or bad the show was, I think a fan, like, I feel like maybe the show wasn't perfect, but that main event was so good that I have, like, it washes away anything that happened in the rest of the night. So I think that speaks a lot to how, if you have an effective main event, like how that can color your opinion of the entire card at least it does does for me or it did for me but that's the one yeah that's one for me and the final question which uh, you know a lot of people find difficult to answer and not sure how to really go about answering it is if you could change one thing about the business just one thing what would it be is there anything you can think of that you would like to change about wrestling yeah that it's a great question, but there could be. You can go so many different ways. I guess it. Like, do you mean, say, within the ring, change something within the ring, or change something to the overall business, like how business is done? Like, what what, what scale are we looking at? How, what, I, I kind of leave it open to people's interpretation of the question. Really, I, there's no sort of right or wrong way of, of of looking at it. I mean, it could be something to do with. The business itself it can be due to do with the wrestlers it could be any way you want to sort of approach it really there are a couple of things i mean well just coming from my perspective i think it's time for uh wrestling companies in the states and english-speaking countries to just develop a more serious relationship with media um the the word like dirt sheet and rags I mean, that's very i get I get it. I get where it came from. I get why people were angry in the '90s and '80s. But um, I think companies, people at companies now, need to understand that the wrestling 
internet news cycle, like it or not, that is their PR. So I think companies need to realize that. And but that also means that on the media side of things, media has to, you know, take it more seriously and and approach it and cover the sport or the art or whatever you want to call it more seriously. And that's kind of an open ended answer. Like how would they change that? I don't know. But something like like how AEW is doing those pressers. Uh, post-show pressers after show that's one little little thing that that could help I, I don't know not mend the relationship between media and, and wrestling but just kind of change it I, I think certain things are stuck in the past but that even that when I say that now it's just like there's so many little things that we could argue about but the relationship between uh, companies and media should change somehow there are so many different ways that it could but and i don't have that answer right now but i think that is one one thing that could change and also like on an in-ring type of deal to answer that on an in-ring type of deal i would get rid of um i would say uh, people can do whatever they want in the ring but i think the head-to-head headbutts that i'm seeing more in japan hmm. and i don't i don't know if you read about what happened there was like a Dragon Gate show this week, and there was a inadvertent elbow and some hard uh, headbutts. But for me, the headbutts, the one that um, you know Shibata did that gave him the subdural hematoma, like I, we don't really see it as much in in the English speaking companies, not too much. But it's becoming more and more of a. I see it in Japanese rings, and it's just unnecessary. Or basically, I suppose changing what. Don't do things that are of no real value. Don't do a something that's really brutal or violent or dangerous when the payoff is so low. You know, why do a, a 450 splash onto the concrete in front of 15 people? You know, I, I, that's, that's a weird hypothetical that I have no. I'm just pulling that out of my ass, but you know what I mean. It's just I, I think that people can work as extreme or as dangerously as they want to as long as they're professionals about it and as long as it makes sense in the context of the show yeah there's certain spots that should be reserved for big shows in front of thousands of people you know they, they shouldn't be happening on a week-to-week basis um and it just shortens careers at the end of the day you know so many guys careers are cut short because they've taken too many liberties you know, it, it, you know, in their career, I mean, all, all you got to do is look at Dynamite Kid. You know, mm. as, as a worst case scenario, you know, Dynamite Kid was an amazing performer, but he paid the price, the ultimate price for it, didn't he? So, um, but I don't think uh, I think um, we have seen a lot of changes for the good in wrestling over the last decade or so. Oh, definitely. Um, Compared with other industries, I just feel like it's not sports industries, but like entertainment industries too. I just feel like wrestling is just behind in a lot of aspects. But it's up to the people that are that are making the product, the the wrestlers and producers, and everybody that's making it happen. I think the change will eventually start when people start looking more at themselves and saying, "Okay, why why am I doing this? What what is the ultimate goal here?" And breaking that down, peeling the onion deep enough to 
realize, okay, why am I doing this move in the ring? Or why am I facing this person? Or why am I saying this in a promo? Or why are we promoting this at this venue? There, sometimes I just don't think the reasons are evident anymore like it used to be. Wrestling is supposed to be a simulated fight. There's two people or more facing each other in a game-like situation. Fans want to cheer one or the other on. And more or less... That's it, right? And I think it's gotten so convoluted over the years that I think people just might need to step back and go, okay, what do I like about wrestling? What do I love about wrestling? And what doesn't need to be here? What do I not need to do? So I don't know if there's a specific answer, but I think that, of course, it'd be great if we readjusted our perspectives for 2021 because this world is different now. So definitely is yeah it'd be interesting to see what happens obviously you know once the pandemic is over i think we're gonna really see a great boom in wrestling hopefully i think that uh, if um the pandemic wasn't going on i'm sure AEW would have done stuff from new japan uh, i'm not sure if um the impact thing was done because they couldn't do anything with New Japan right now I, I kind of feel that maybe yeah they would have worked of impact anyway but they certainly would have done more I think um, we're going to see a lot more crossover with other companies in AEW because I think that's something that Tony Khan wants to do he wants to try and bring I, 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 I want to say sort of bring territorial wrestling back to some degree you know where where guys are not just working for one company I can go all over the place I mean I know Ring of Honor and TNA were doing that for a while but and yeah wrestling is, is changed now so much in that guys are no longer just tied down to one company you know with WWE yeah that's who you work for and that's you're not going to be able to work for anybody else but we're seeing a change aren't we now where guys are able to to go and work in Japan in Mexico all over the world and obviously they haven't been able to because of COVID but I think um, it's a great time in the business right now. Yeah, and something like AEW is acting more as a stage than a, like a, what can you say, conglomerate of a bunch of companies under one umbrella. It's, yeah, because of the nature of what this is, we're dealing with kind of like independent artists that uh, they're trying to get their name out, they're distributing what they do and the way to distribute what they do their wrestling is to get on that stage and AEW is a big stage but it's also kind of you know come and go it's not as much of a, a system like WWE has where you're, you're locked in and you're representing something ultimately that's not you you're representing the company you're working for the company so it's that's something about the business that is changing or evolving too is the nature of uh, who you're wrestling for. Are you wrestling for the company, or are you wrestling for you know your own personal reasons, and you want to you have something that you want to express or say or do that's not uh, sponsored by your work? I mean, I don't know. It, we don't know what's going to happen because I couldn't have predicted anything that happened this year. So going forward, I don't. The only thing I think may change is that the nature of live events or the importance of live events which means that it's like if live events change or just out of the picture i think the product has to change a lot because so much of the in-ring work is based on what we see is based on people's 
past reactions. People do this. Wrestlers do this and that X and Y because in the past fans have reacted in Z a certain way. So I don't know what to expect, but I think things do need to change. So it's good that you're asking the question. I just don't know exactly what what it needs, but who knows? No, it's going to be an interesting an interesting year ahead, definitely. Um, Justin, we could talk so much more couldn't we, we, we had, but, yeah sorry uh, you kept you so long you kept you up so late no it's Over okay i mean obviously I, I i do these shows quite late for me because a lot of the guests i have on are are from the states and there's obviously a a great time difference uh but um i'm happy to do it because i love talking to you guys it's, it's such a great tight-knit community on 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 the fight game facebook group you know everybody gets on so well we might disagree here and there but you know where that's that's going to happen we all have different opinions everybody respects each other's opinions which you don't always get on groups do you on on on, on message boards or on forums people just don't appreciate other people's opinions and uh that we don't get any of that on 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 fight game everybody gets on really well and it's a pleasure to have these people on and hear more about them and and I'm looking forward to doing more of these. Um, there's quite a few other guests I've got lined up. But once this sort of series is over, I'm going to obviously do more podcasts. And I'd love to have you on again uh, for whatever. Oh my uh, gosh, yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, I'd love to. Whatever my next plan is, I don't know what it's going to be, but maybe we could do a whole show about Bret Hart since <laughs> we're such huge fans. Hey, I'm I'm all for that. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, Bret Hart in Japan is its own thing. You know what I mean? Or Bret Hart. He has eras that are so specific to what he was doing and and him and his wrestling. Same goes for Terry Funk as well. I don't know if you're a big Terry Funk fan, oh, but yeah. Terry Funk, it, he's a different wrestler, but he's another guy who has these very specific stages of his career. And I, I think I find that appealing too. There's what Terry Funk was doing in the 90s versus what he was doing in the 70s and what Bret Hart was doing at the end of his career versus what he was doing in the 80s with Jim Neidhart. Yeah. There's a lot to dig into, so the fight game group. I think all of us are we're intrigued, we're fans, but we want to talk about it like adults and not try to. See, so yeah, like you were saying, like the message board thing. I don't even know what the the what what can you do with it these days? Something people complain about the Wrestling Observer board. I, I've only seen it, but I've never. I've never participated, but they people use the term cesspool a lot, and I think to myself, like, what is the point of any of that? Why, if you just like something, why can't you just go and talk about it with people that also really like it? And it's cool when we have disagreements in the fight game because they're usually like, when I disagree with somebody, it's usually because like, oh, I didn't even really think about that point, and while I disagree with it, I completely understand where you're coming from, and I think that that little piece of understanding or the way that we're all communicating it pushes everything forward not just the business not just all of us all of us people that are involved with the business it helps us i like to think about it like watching tv in black and white versus watching it in high definition the more that you know the more it enhances your experience when you're watching it right that's a great analogy i must write that down and i'm going to use that one again in the, in the, in the, in the future uh but yeah justin uh thanks once again and uh well i suppose i could say merry christmas to you because uh, we're only a few days away so uh have a good christmas and uh good new year and uh like i say have you back on again in the future i hope likewise david thanks for having me and let's talk soon
Thank you, Justin. Bye-bye. See ya.